Halfway through our first show of the work week, and man, there's a lot to sort through. Some doozies. I mean, some behemoths on the Week 10 schedule. We talked Sunday night football, went to the Bay Area with Matt Mayoko, longtime Niners insider, as they move to 5-4. and four, And now they have the same number of losses in the NFC West as do the Seattle Seahawks. Seattle, of course, on the road in Germany. It's a strange road game and a lot of miles logged on that team plane. But, you know, charter, that's the way to go. If you've ever chartered, it makes commercial air travel seem like it's hell. It's not, but it makes it seem like that after you charter. So the Seahawks have a slim lead now atop the NFC West, and we're going to talk about the first ever NFL game in Germany coming up. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. We're live from the Rocket Mortgage Studios. Whether you're looking to purchase a new home or refinance yours, Rocket Mortgage can help you get there. For home loan solutions that fit your life, Rocket can. So as it turns out, the Buccaneers team plane landed early uh, in returning to the United States from Germany, and so we had an offer from sideline reporter TJ Reeves to join us before he falls asleep. I can imagine there's going to be a little bit of that jet lag and body adjustment. So we want to dive right into it. It was actually a two touchdown lead for the Buccaneers at halftime. Uh, and they were able to do it with back-to-back 13 play drives. Julio Jones getting his moment. And we play this because this is historic. The first ever NFL touchdown in the nation of Germany. Third and 10 from the Seattle 32. Brady from the gun. Takes the snap. Drops back. Throws over the middle. It's caught. First down and more. It is Julio Jones angling to the end zone. And he is in for the touchdown. 31 yards on the catch and run. Brady to Julio Jones for the first ever NFL regular season touchdown in Germany. How about that? Spiro Didis on Westwood one. And this was a game in which we saw the Bucks offense in a nice groove. So picking up from that final minute of their come from behind victory against the Rams in week number nine, they seemed like, and I know it was a scoreless first quarter, but they seemed like they were much more comfortable in their own skin and with their own identity on Sunday. White swings in motion, empty backfield, Brady looks, Brady looks, Brady looks back to his right, chose the left, it is caught, touchdown Tampa Bay, Ron Chris Godwin, touchdown Buccaneers, we lead 20-3, to crowd roaring in Munich. So for Tom Brady and for the Buccaneers, they build a big lead. They do see Seattle pull within uh, one score in the fourth quarter, but they're able to run out the clock. Uh, And the rushing game was brilliant. 161 rushing yards for the Buccaneers and no sacks of Tom Brady. So what does that tell you about the offensive line? How much better it played in Germany? Maybe it's the German food or the German beer. (gasps) Did you see how big the beers were in that stadium? (laughs) Anyway, Tampa's able to run out the clock preserved the win and meanwhile the defense was also great smothering as usual three sacks a fumble holding the Buccaneers or excuse me holding the Seahawks to one of nine on third down and if you're going to take a long road trip you better damn well leave with a W. Feels great to go into the bye week with a win obviously two wins so hopefully we're trending forward you almost don't want to have a bye since you want two in a row but we got some guys nicked up. We need to get healthy, so we'll get some rest, and we'll get ready for the stretch run. The big guys up front played really well. That was as good an effort as we've had by that entire group. A lot of guys made plays in the past game. Mike made them, Chris made them, Cade made them, Julio made them. So everyone 
everyone did a great job kind of spreading the ball around to different people. And uh, it's what we're going to have to keep doing. I mean, it's, you know, hopefully we can keep building on it. And these guys raved about the atmosphere there in Germany. Uh, the fact that the fans were so into it. They were singing at the top of their lungs. Uh, Country road, take me home. <laughs> it seemed like there were there was plenty of noise. And they even did the wave. There was plenty of noise for both teams. So maybe it was just a bunch of German sports fans who decided to come out and be part of history there in Munich. Um, or maybe it was actually fans who traveled to Germany. Probably a little bit of both. But uh, there were high points. There were low points. We taught them what not to do when it comes to Tom Brady and uh, lining up wide. So we'll get to that. But right now, uh, we're pleased to welcome, at his offer, TJ Reeves, the Buccaneers sideline reporter on their radio network. Work along with Gene Deckerhoff, who you heard on that Chris Godwin touchdown. TJ, I can only imagine physically how you feel trying to get back uh, onto American soil. But what's football like in Germany? It's wild, and it's wild to be with you in the middle of the night. We are after hours, and this, <laughs> and we are on scene for Amy Lawrence. Just a little while after the Buccaneer plane has touched down back in Tampa on a nine-hour and 40-minute flight from Munich. In fact, as we're talking right now, the Seahawks are still flying, obviously. A little longer for them to get to the Pacific Northwest. So uh, it has been some kind of day. That was some scene as you were relaying. Germany was an amazing host, the first-ever regular season game. And the NFL knew this. They knew there is a large enough contingent of American football fans that are there, uh, whether it's Germans, whether it's Americans that are there working, or whether it's the fans, like you said, that made their way over. I would, I would conservatively say there were easily 20,000 American football fans. Wow. Probably about a 60-40 split would be my guess. Were Seahawks fans. They got very loud in the fourth quarter. But it, it was, I mean, four hours before the game, Amy, there had to be 50,000 people already outside ready to get in and jam in that place. When they opened the doors two hours before the game, you're looking around, and the place is mostly full. What? Everybody was ready to soak in the ambiance. It was, to answer your question, it was wild, and it was, it was festive. And it ended up being a really a really good finish to that game. Mm. TJ, you had a chance to talk to Roger Goodell, who was there in Germany. <laughs> That's really cool. I don't know if it's the first time you've had a one-on-one with him, but what did he have to say about history in Munich? Well, it's a, it's a good question, and I did have the opportunity 13 years ago. He and I talked in London for Buccaneers Patriots with Amy Tom Brady on the other sideline playing for the <laughs> Patriots against the Bucks. And, the, and he and I share a bond. You know, I have so much in common with Roger Goodell. Uh, father of twins. And Aww. his twin daughters are now 21, he told me. And I looked at him and said, mine are 14. What am I in for? He put his arm around me and said, good luck. <laughs> so there's the answer from the commissioner on that. Uh, and as he said, they have wanted to do this really for several years now. And really, it's probably been about 20 years in the making on how do we make a regular season game happened in Germany. We've, we've been able to do this in England. We've been able to do this in Mexico, played one in Canada. Uh, they played preseason games in Germany in the early 1990s. They played several of them. But in that case, the, the American game had not grown enough to where it was a big deal uh, everywhere. Uh, so now in this case, it was a very much a big deal. And so he, he has said, and he said on the record on our interview, I'm sure he said it to Seattle radio and, and national radio and everywhere else that he talked 
on Sunday. They are going to play multiple games, probably one a season for the next few years. Wow. And there are other teams like the Patriots and I believe the Packers that have gotten territorial rights to come play a home game should they desire in Germany. So the NFL will be back. And if, if Sunday was any indication, I know it's the first. So when it's the first game, everybody's uh, obviously going to want to go be part of the novelty of the first game. But if, it, if it's anything like what it was Sunday, uh, it's going to be it's going to build uh, in in Germany for sure. And they're going to move it around. Not just he said that, uh. not just in Munich, but Frankfurt, where they formerly had an NFL Europe team, Berlin, uh, the capital. They'll move the game around probably, but it was festive for sure on game one Sunday. Wow, that's so cool, TJ. Thank you for the intel and for the insight, and that's awesome that you had a conversation with the commissioner <laughs> one-on-one. It's after hours here on CBS Sports Radio, and TJ Reeves just got off the plane from Germany. So the Buccaneers landed early. He offered to join us for a couple of minutes before he falls asleep, so we appreciate that. Okay, a couple of practice. <laughs> yeah. I used the word collapse. <laughs> you cleaned it up and said fall asleep. Yes, I said yes. collapse. Continue well, on. Please don't do that. You're doing well so far. Uh, I have to ask you a couple of practical questions. Looking back at that drive against the Rams in the final minute in which Kate Otten caught the touchdown, and it was like the Bucks had won the Super Bowl on the sidelines. The way that they were celebrating, the joy, the relief, the euphoria. How did you see the sideline? And I know you're in Germany, so it's different, but how did you see the sideline respond in this game coming off that win? I think it's a great point, and to take you back to now uh, Sunday night a week ago, eight days ago now as we're doing this, I was right there on the two-yard line when Kate Otten broke free, my side coming right at me, and you talk about a flip around, a 180 of you're about to go into a losing locker room, six losses in seven games for Mm. Tom Brady. Are you kidding me? But he showed – why he's the greatest of all time in the clutch. He's done it more than anybody. All right, so you pull that game out, and to answer your question, yes, it did carry over. The Bucks were ready. They were on point. Uh, they were moving the ball uh, on their opening drive and did not end up getting points. Got a penalty and, and missed a long field goal. But the defense on point right away, the emotion, the focus on the sideline, it was all there. And it, and it was particularly there in the second quarter where you went on two long 80-yard drives, an 88-yard touchdown drive and another 80-plus-yard touchdown drive right. to just demonstrate they were locked in in the first half. A team that has had trouble scoring touchdowns and putting points on the board was taking it to Seattle. I think there absolutely was a carryover effect. Why did the offensive line play so much better in Germany? Don't tell me it was the beer because they were humongous. <laughs> well, the beer was flowing. I can tell you from Saturday night, uh, I don't know that there was any beer left in the Hofbrauhaus. That's what it's called in Munich where the Buccaneer pep rally was uh, <laughs> because there were probably a thousand literally Buccaneer fans inside and outside trying to get in. Wow. They were drinking it all. Nonetheless, back to the offensive <laughs> line, they were physical. And that was a bit surprising that they manhandled. I'll use that word, Seattle, for a lot of that game up front. I mean, the Buccaneers haven't had a 100-yard rusher since week one, Fournette against the Cowboys. And Rashad White just kept getting better as the game went on at hitting holes that were there. And they kept pushing Seattle around and going on those long drives. Uh, it was impressive. They, they found something on the interior of the offensive line as well uh, against Seattle and opened up some holes through the middle that White hit. Leonard Fournette in the first half hit. And I'm sure you're going to ask me about Lenny, the quarterback, trying <laughs> to throw the ball to Tom Brady in a second. But it, it, uh, it, it was obvious that they, they wanted to set the tone. Donovan Smith said to me after the game, the big left tackle, the Pro Bowl left tackle, 
we knew that this playing surface was a little slick because it's night, it's cooler, and mm. we wanted to get them back on their heels, uh, blocking them and pounding them with the run game on that slick playing field. I thought that was an interesting point, and the Bucks did that throughout the game, running the ball. TJ Reeves is back on U.S. soil after that game in Germany, part of the Buccaneers radio network. I can only imagine the the cool factor of doing sidelines in Munich, <laughs> Germany. White with 105 yards. You, you mentioned the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are able to amass 161 yards rushing. But, yes, let's talk about Leonard Fournette, the quarterback. Uh, and, actually, I want you to hear what Tom Brady had to say. So let me just set it up for people who didn't yep. see it. Uh, Leonard Fournette takes a snap, so it's a direct snap to him. He tries to fire a pass to the sidelines where Brady is streaking upfield, but Brady slips and falls on his rear, and the ball is an easy interception for Tariq Wooden. So, of course, Brady was asked about this not-so-highlight reel play after the game. I wasn't very close today. Unfortunately, that corner is a former college receiver who jumps a lot higher than me and is much more athletic. I was hoping to be wide open, and I probably was on the first one, and uh, I think they were pretty clued on the second one. They said, cover him, cover him, and I was on the sideline, and I tried to yell, Lenny, no, but <laughs> it was too late, and uh, the ball went up in the air, and I was trying to just, whatever, jump up and knock it down, but I ended up falling on my face. And then tripping Wooden as well. He gets the penalty because he trips Wooden. So why? Why did they try to get so cute there? Well, so they, they have been criticized, Byron Leftwich, Todd Bowles, for not being creative enough. Oh. So now you get creative <laughs> and you do something. And what's interesting <laughs> is what he said in the clip, which is on the first time they ran that Wildcat play near midfield about three or four plays earlier, Brady was lined up wide to the left, and he went down the field. A lot of times the quarterback will just stand there. And so, as he said, I thought he was going to throw it to me the first time, which means it was on as, as Leonard Fournette's option to throw him the ball. If, yes. if, it's not, if the running lane's not there, turn and throw it. The biggest sin is he's got to be wide open. Let's be kind. Brady is <laughs> phenomenal, but he is not going to run by anybody at 45, as he said, not out jump people. And he was not wide open. I'm standing right there parallel to the line of scrimmage, and I saw Fournette turn and look, and I saw the DB. And I think uh, Lenny got excited that I could maybe throw it past him, but he's not a quarterback. He's not QB Lenny. <laughs> no. He couldn't quite get it there. You can laugh about it now, but that, that play oh. kind of turned momentum to the Seahawks. It did. It definitely did because Seattle was able to move the ball to the nine at that point. And if not for Devin White, who had uh, who was able to strip the ball away and Geno fumbled, yep. it was recovered by Tampa Bay. So that kind of prevented uh, the, the, you know, the damage being compounded. Speaking of Devin White, uh, how is he doing? Well, it's been an emotional time for him. The death of his father, who had been ill uh, recently, um, you know, weighed on him. They came to Germany. He's been under criticism, under a lot of scrutiny, not only nationally, but locally on his play, on how he's played. And now you have death, which is more important than that, uh, compounding it. So he he was everywhere on Sunday. He He looked like the Pro Bowl Devin White that the Buccaneers drafted in the top five back four years ago and was making plays, two sacks, had a great sack in the second half where he kind of delayed his pass rush and hid from Kenneth Walker, who was the blocking back, and looped around and clobbered Geno Smith. So uh, Devin White was tremendous. The Buccaneers, uh, again, played an almost clean game for the most part. The Brady interception, the, the Fournette interception, the Brady interception late, so he had a couple of turnovers, but 
for the most part, they didn't have penalties. Mm-hmm. They didn't have blown assignments for the most part on defense. So this team uh, found something in Germany. We now have a bye week, Amy, but you almost were wondering, hey, if you could if you could lobby the NFL to play again next week, they seem to have found something <laughs> in the final drive against the Rams and going out to Germany and playing against a good Seattle team and really outplaying them for most of the game. Yeah, you wouldn't know they're a 5-5 five and five team. And, and just before I let you go, because you've been so kind and generous with your time, uh, there was a moment that I noted, um, and, and I actually wrote it down because I want to make sure I didn't forget it. Uh, it was late in that drive where they were trying to run out the clock, and they had uh, four big chunk plays. They picked up four first downs, and they're able to keep the ball away from Seattle and not give it back up by five. And after one particular conversion, uh, Tom Brady, it was probably the last one where they could kneel it down then Tom Brady grabs Mike Evans by the helmet and he mm-hmm. he bashes I mean not bashes but he like smacked him in the helmet multiple times with his own helmet like three times like that was a pinball and the two of them had these gigantic smiles on their faces and again you see the celebration on the sidelines like they've won the Super Bowl I can only imagine there's relief there but also like yes this is what we know we're capable of this is who we are yeah, you're on fire right now. You're absolutely right. Because I was standing right there watching that. And you got to appreciate, too, that atmosphere was jacked. That was like a postseason atmosphere. Right. And everybody stayed. And it's still a close game. And the crowd is into it. And you win in that moment. And that's, that's the celebration you get when you win a bit. I mean, this is a big win for the Buccaneers, period, against a Seattle team that's leading the West going into the game at 6-3, and three, and you go and you outplay them and win that game to get your season back to 5-5, five and five. you understand the celebration. You understand that you've now turned your season around with the comeback win against the Rams and followed it up uh, with this victory. So, yes, that was, that was a great moment. That sideline, that locker room, they understood how important it was to finish this game and to get back to 5-5. Five and five. And the Buccaneers have done that, and we've made it back home safely, young lady, which we love. That's another victory. You don't sound like you have jet lag. I'm really impressed with you, (laughs) TJ. Not yet. I'm still hanging in there for you. It'll catch up with you. We're going to let you go here because that was amazing. This is not something that we expected, so what a treat to have you. You can find TJ Reeves on Twitter at Buck sideline guy and he's fresh off that trip to Germany historic and also took a selfie with Roger Goodell so you know there's that too Uh, I don't know if you called a bunch of other radio outlets and we just happened to be the only people that answered but thank you TJ this was awesome (laughs) so you know there was one message sent to one person and her producer and that's the person I'm talking to because I always Whenever I get an opportunity, I always come through after hours. And this is some serious after hours to have come from Germany to be (laughs) on the show. Glad to be with you. Very impressed. TJ, get some sleep, and we will talk to you soon. Appreciate it. Yes, ma'am. Go Bucks. All right. There's so much to unpack there, but I really enjoyed being able to see this game on NFL Network. They had a four-person booth, so they actually had – my gosh, it was Rich Eisen. There was Kurt Warner in there as well. I think Michael Irvin was in the booth, too. I can't remember who the fourth guy was. Um, but it, the atmosphere was incredible. And we don't have time for it right now, but Tom Brady, Julio Jones, others talking about the atmosphere there in Germany and what it was like to be part of this history. And then to hear TJ still flying high, lots of adrenaline, um, even though he just got off a plane flight that lasted nearly 10 hours. By the way, if you want to know about the beer, the the size of the beer. Do you think they charge 
less for their beer in Germany than the NFL does at its various stadiums in the United States because that beer would knock me out. That's how big it is. Uh, Check out, Jay's laughing at me, check out the photos on our social media after our CBS. It's hysterical. Yeah, the crowd, super cool. And I'm so excited for these teams that got to experience it as well as TJ. And that was awesome. Uh, Coming up, a couple of other teams in the NFL that have seemingly turned the corner as the Bucks have and maybe the Packers too. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. You are listening to the After Hours Podcast. Bucks set of three receivers to the right. Going to give Henry a turn. He pitches it back to Tannehill. He throws deep right side. There's Westbrook. Akita 35, 30, 25, 20, 15, 10, 5, and so. Touchdown, Titans. Oh, goodness. Return to sender. (laughs) Yo, yes, yes. Oh, that's hell yes. It's time to pull on the pads and hit somebody. On After Hours with Amy Lawrence, CBS Sports Radio. The Titans have definitely found their groove. They've definitely turned a corner. And getting Ryan Tannehill back on the field was the biggest step. Of course, establishing their identity again after their loss a couple weeks ago against the Chiefs, right? Uh, But this is a team that without Ryan Tannehill... They don't have that same steady hand, and they certainly don't have the same ability to keep defenses off balance. Yes, you are going to be a run-first team. The Titans are Derrick Henry first and second and third, and then, okay, maybe we'll throw the ball to keep defenses honest. But in a game like this one against the Denver Broncos, this is in Nashville, but Denver has got a stout defensive line. They've got a stout front, and they didn't allow Derrick Henry a whole lot of room to operate, daring the Titans to throw the ball. And while this one began with nine straight punts, seriously, Broncos, Titans, nine punts in a row to begin the game. Denver actually had 10 points in the second quarter and the lead at half. It was kind of a cool moment. Uh, Russell Wilson throws a 66-yard touchdown pass to a young man whose name you may not know. But it was not only his first NFL catch, it was his first NFL touchdown. And it was the only one that he made on Sunday. Jalen Virgil. It's an undrafted rookie. I got to remember where he's from uh, so I can give you the the proper uh, college background. But yeah, his first NFL catch is also an NFL touchdown. And so really cool for the product product out of Appalachian State. Um, And that does give the Broncos a lift. But because Derrick Henry couldn't run the ball, the Titans had to take to the air, and they do it. As you hear with Mike Keith and Dave McGinnis on Titans Radio, it's touchdown passes from Ryan Tannehill to Nick Westbrook-Akini. Nine yards and then 63 yards on the flea flicker. Denver still within striking distance, still seemingly has the opportunity, uh, especially with the Titans missing five defensive starters. Wilson in the shotgun. Wilson under pressure, stepping up, firing downfield. It's tipped and intercepted by Mitchell, who takes a knee at the one. Yeah, let's take that one home. 
Get out of here, David. I am scanning for a flag. I am not finding one. And the Titans are going to win this football game with 11 seconds to go. Once again, Titans radio with the dramatic defensive stop to end the game. Despite missing five starters on that side of the ball, the Titans come away with six sacks, 18 QB hits. Are you kidding me? Where is the Denver offensive line? I know the Titans are fierce in the trenches, but 18 quarterback hits? Essentially, every single time Russell Wilson had the ball, he had Titans up in his grill, up in his jock. And then the interception of Russ at the goal line with 20 seconds to go. And this is who the Titans are. But the reason they can be comfortable now, the reason they can start to string together wins and go back to where they were winning the five in a row is because they've got Ryan Tannehill on the field and he's healthy and that keeps them steady. Yeah, the offense needed to play. The, the defense was able to come and, and help. You know, when we made a mistake on offense or, you know, we gave up a touchdown on defense, you know, or we needed to drive offensively, needed a big play, and I thought our special teams, you know, kept us in there and, and, and did a great job with field position. Things were ugly early. Guys hung with me and, and kept battling. And, um, you know, we just found a way to, to start making some plays, I'll take advantage of some looks that we were getting, and, um, and made some big plays, especially there down the stretch when we needed it. Yeah, it wasn't pretty, but who cares? A win is a win, is a win, is a win. And welcome back to Ryan Tannehill. As for the Broncos, you want to talk about ugly. Well, these losses are starting to stack up for Russell Wilson and Nathaniel Hackett and Denver. It's definitely frustrating, um, you know, to to feel like we could have won that game. And just, you know, so many, you know, uh, we had some good moments. We had some not so good moments. We were battling, you know, obviously to see Billy go down. That wasn't that wasn't easy on us. The reality is, is we got to find ways to win these games. It's, you know, it's been um, five, six games or so, you know, that are one-score games. And so that's, that, I, I got to find a way to get, for us to get two more touchdowns. We got, we got to find a way to, I mean, you know, I think we got to find a way to get two more touchdowns a game, you know, and I think that we were able to do that in London. We didn't do it, do it tonight. Um, we, You know, as, as, as tough as the game was and as tough physical as it was. We were doing some good things in that first half again, uh, and uh, third down continually gets us. Uh, we got to be sure that uh, we, we got to keep mixing it up as much as we can. Um, had to throw some guys in there, and I, I loved watching them battle. Uh, Jalen Virgil uh, came up big for us uh, on an audible that Russ had, which was great to see, but we got to do a great job protecting Russ, and we got to find a way to run the ball. A scoreless second half for the Denver Broncos on the road in Nashville. Um, and as I say, they were all up in Russ's face all the time. Uh, and so the Broncos fall to three and six, while the Titans have now won for the sixth time in seven games. But while we're talking about Monday mortification and Monday misery, yeah, the Broncos have got plenty. But in that same division, they're sharing the basement. <laughs> the basement's been rented out, actually, to two separate teams, and that would include the Las Vegas Raiders. Now, the Raiders lose at home to Jeff Saturday's Colts, who put Matt Ryan in the starting lineup again as a surprise. So maybe that was the problem. And the offense didn't play poorly, just couldn't stop Matt Ryan on a third and 18 or whatever it was, scrambling for 39 yards and really didn't have an answer uh, even after they were able to score a couple times and, and they they went back and forth, but it's just not good enough. And so I, I know football's an emotional game. I mentioned it earlier with Aaron Rodgers uh, and certainly with Tom Brady and the emotion that he's showing now, but neither one of them was crying on Sunday like Derek Carr. I love Josh. I love the car. I love our coaches. 
um, they've had nothing but success, you know, way more success than I've ever had, you know. And, uh, you know, I'm sorry. Derek, um, you know, I'm, sorry, continue. To finish that, sorry for being emotional. I'm just pissed off. It's like a broken record. You know, appreciate the fight that our guys have. Um, and congratulate the Colts. They obviously made a few more plays than we did. Um, you know, but we're going to have to learn how to take some of these uh, close losses and make some of the plays that we need to make throughout the course of the game. It doesn't just come down to the last drive. It's interesting to hear and to see even reporters and insiders and analysts who hail from New England starting to question whether or not Josh McDaniels just isn't cut out to be a head coach. This is a playoff team from a year ago, and I know that they're missing a couple of key pieces. For instance, Darren Waller is not available, and that's a great target for Derek Carr, and they also are without Hunter Renfro now. He's on the IR, so they're missing those two pieces, but they still have they still have Devontae Adams. They have Josh Jacobs. They have a quarterback who can throw it's be, it's going from bad to worse, and it's becoming one of those situations where um, everybody is is pressing, everyone's emotional, everyone's on edge, uh, and, and Derek Carr's crying, which I don't love after a loss. Uh, cry after a win, maybe cry because you're proud or it, the game took a ton out of you, but I don't cry after a loss. And then Derek Carr also mentioned that he felt like there were some guys that weren't trying as much as he was. Some guys that weren't giving as much effort as the rest of them, which I I guess you could compare to Aaron Rodgers' uh, comments a few weeks ago. But yeah, he had to pause multiple times to collect himself, uh, and it's it's befuddling. There aren't any answers. They're now two and seven. And again, this is a team that lost its head coach and lost one of its – young receivers last year and still rallied to make the playoffs. Um, and so he was asked about Josh McDaniels and he said, I love Josh, um, but, it, but very emotional for him. Here's the thing. It's not like the Raiders are far off. And I want to emphasize that point because they have only lost. Let's see. Of, let's see. They're two and seven. They've only lost one time in which they were not within a single score. Right, so they've had six games that they've lost by one score. But they haven't won any games by one score. It's about discipline. It's about confidence. It's about scheme, certainly. It's about plans. It's about execution in the clutch. All of those things. And this team right now doesn't have that. They've got stars. They've got high-quality talent everywhere you look on that roster, even with the guys who are hurt. It's it's astounding. It really doesn't make any sense that they can't get one or two of these games to go their way. And so when the wins are scarce, football is very emotional. When the wins are scarce, athletes in a locker room, coaches – they're not only are they on edge, but they if they don't have great leadership, they'll go after each other. Isn't that what Aaron said a couple of weeks ago? We're fine as long as no one breaks rank. Well, that's what he was talking about. Losing either highlights your leadership, which it did last year with Derek Carr and Rich Basaccia, or it exposes your lack of leadership. And I don't know who's leading right now. I just know there's crying.
The rest of the AFC West is still figuring things out outside of the Chiefs. There is still potential for wild cards there if, you know, barring some Chiefs collapse. But they look good. So you got a couple of teams that are locked in now in the AFC. The Chiefs, the Dolphins. We'll get to them coming up. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence. Here's our latest sports update. Oh, and take our Monday misery poll because it's up and it includes the Raiders and other teams on Twitter, A-Law Radio, or on our Facebook page. You are listening to the After Hours Podcast. Mahomes, Pacheco. They fake a jet action. Mahomes wants to throw the ball, slings it wide open right side. Kadarius Tony walks the tightrope and is hopping into the end zone. Touchdown, Kansas City. Is it football or gymnastics? Kadarius Tony lands it for a gold medal and his first National Football League touchdown. Hands on his knees. They fake to him this time, does Mahomes. Steps up into the pocket, fires for the end zone. Wide open. Touchdown, Marquez Valdez-Scantling. McKinnon halfback, left, sprints to the near flat. Mahomes will fire for the end zone. Caught, near side, touchdown. Kansas City, Noah Gray, Patrick Mahomes with more touchdown passes than any quarterback in National Football history in his first 75 games on a 12-yard strike at 46 seconds to go second quarter. All in all, it was a good game. Uh, we've got plenty of things to, to work on that we need to clean up. Uh, a few too many mistakes, but again, um, not easy to win in the National Football League, so we cherish each one of these as we go. This is After Hours with Amy Lawrence. Mitch Holtis on Chiefs Radio as Kansas City races out to a 20 to nothing lead against visiting Jacksonville. And how about this? Both Kadarius Toney, new acquisition from the Giants, and Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who came over from the Packers in the offseason, earned their first touchdown grabs as members of the Chiefs. Jacksonville was kind of a mess from the start. Some missed field goals in there, though... They do come up with 10 unanswered points until Kansas City slams the door with the late 75-yard touchdown drive in the Travis Kelsey TD with five minutes to go. So Patrick Mahomes, four touchdowns. He did have an interception, but well over 325 yards. And he threw the ball to nine different Kansas City receivers. And his touchdowns were all two different targets. So the Chiefs, would have blown the Jaguars out even more if not for the three turnovers. But this was a Patrick Mahomes who didn't have to throw nearly as much, was able to rely on his playmakers. They've accepted the challenge these last few weeks. I mean, even last week whenever there were sacks, there was more coverage stuff. It wasn't on the offensive line. I was holding the ball too long and stuff like that. And uh, that's another great defensive line we face today with first-round draft picks, guys that are big, uh, fast, um, physical, and they did a great job running and, and pass protecting. So I think as the season goes on, offensive lines, especially with the rules in training camp, they get better and better, at least the, the really good ones do. And I think you see in our offensive line as the season goes on become that elite group that we all expected. 155 yards rushing for the Chiefs. And if they can run the ball like that, watch out. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence, CBS Sports Radio. More importantly, or just as importantly, the O-line allows no sacks of Patrick Mahomes, which is huge. And yes, Kadarius Toney, welcome to the Kansas City Chiefs. It just felt electric in there. But uh, the reason I was so 
I guess, uh, happened. Well, the reason I was happened was because I, uh, I was too close to the uh, sideline when I caught it, and I just was excited. I saw the sound. Oh, I got to hop. <laughs> I got to get in there somehow, some way. But um, it's electric being out there, um, all the fans around you sitting on top of you, yelling at the opponent, like on top of you yelling at them, and <laughs> um, quarterback putting you in the right position. For whatever reason, Tony did not work with the Giants in the Brian Dayball offense, but has found a home with the Chiefs. 90 total yards and a score on Sunday. And the Jaguars, they fall to 3-7. and seven, But this was uh, an uphill battle, to be sure, as the Chiefs are now 7-2. and two. Chargers lose on Sunday night. We'll get to that at the top of the hour. They're at 5-4. and four, And we just talked about the teams bringing up the rear, the caboose in the AFC West with both the Broncos and the Raiders, who are searching for answers. So the Chiefs have won three more games in a row, but a longer winning streak. In fact, the longest winning streak in the AFC right now belongs to the Miami Dolphins since Tua Tungvaloa returned to the field. Gasicki in motion, empty backfield, back to throw, looking, looking. Corner of the end zone, touchdown! Sherfield got his feet down, I think. What a throw in the corner of the end zone by Tua! Wow! And off the Mostert. Yes, five touchdown! Open it up, baby! Open it up! A 24-yard touchdown run by Raheem Mostert. Third down and goal from just about the two-yard line. Wilson, the running back, he goes in motion to the right. Back to throw. Throws a touchdown hill. His fourth of the year. I think the benefit is those guys on the opposing team have to cover everyone on the field. It's not just Tyreek or Jalen or Mike or our backs. Like, you got to cover everyone. And if someone's not accounted for, then we'll hopefully we can find them and get them the ball and force their team to tackle them. So I, I think that's also something that's frustrating for defenses. Four straight wins for Miami since Tua's return. And, yes, the Dolphins score on five consecutive possessions in the second quarter and then on into the second half. 39 points against the Cleveland Browns, which is crazy. So the Dolphins are 7-3, and three, and with the Bills losing and the Jets off, it's Miami in first place in the AFC East. And just as I mentioned with Kansas City, five different Dolphins have touchdowns in this game. So it's Raheem Mostert, and it's Tyreek Hill, but it's Jalen Waddell, and it's pick your poison for defenses. Tua, a near-perfect game. He wasn't sacked. 285 yards, three touchdowns, as you hear him talk about how tough this is for opposing defenses. And Mike McDaniel just brought in Jeff Wilson. Wilson goes over 115 yards rushing and has a score. There's no shortcut around it. Um, It's something that you're very proud of as a coach because, you know, it's, uh, it's an entire group really dedicating themselves to the craft. You know, um, it's tough. You, you come here, there was a lot of talk about um, our run game and, you know, just because of the, the past successes I've been fortunate enough to have myself. Um, and, and guys were excited about the system. Bringing Jeff Wilson in, humongous. Same thing with the Bradley Chubb piece as well. So 39-17 against Cleveland, and the Browns don't even get to 300 yards. Nick Chubb is held to 63 yards, and they weren't able to build off the win they had last week. It's definitely unfortunate, uh, you know, obviously wanting to carry that momentum into to another week, and, and um, you know, we were unsuccessful at that. Uh, and, um, yeah, we just got to be better in all phases of the game. Very disappointed. 
got beat by a good football team. We really didn't do any of the things that you need to do versus that football team. Uh, we didn't slow them down on offense, or we didn't slow their offense down. We didn't score enough on defense. In football, you got to weather some storms in-game and, and in-season and whatever it may be, and, and we just got to make sure that uh, we respond. Uh, but today was very disappointing for our football team, um, and uh, we got to look at it a lot of Kevin Stavansky, Josh McDaniel saying the same things over and over. It was for Matt LaFleur as well as they were suffering through a five-game losing skid in Green Bay. So yeah, it's back to the drawing board and still it's only week 10 and there are so many ways this can break. If you think about the teams that have gone through some adversity already like the Dolphins who had to play three different quarterbacks uh, and, and hit the skids while Tua was out but now they've won four in a row and they're sitting on top of the AFC East. The Kansas City Chiefs I know Tyreek Hill is killing it with the Dolphins, but weren't they supposed to be taking a step back as an offense? And this team is galvanized, and they're smart, and they've got a ton of experience. They're at 7-2. and two. They've actually got the best record in the AFC now. How about that? The best record in the AFC tied for the most wins with the Dolphins. Back to Sunday Night Football next. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence, CBS Sports Radio.